My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. And welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Rachel Hewat. From the minute the Ontario Conservatives under Premier Doug Ford took office in 2018, it was clear that they had the education system in their sights. Early targets included Indigenous-related curriculum processes and queer-inclusive and consent-focused sex education curriculum. And then in the spring of 2019, they announced changes to education funding that are estimated to amount to about $1.4 billion of cuts over four years. The ways in which these cuts have been discussed by the government in the media can most charitably be described as confusing, but it is clear that they are already resulting in a significant reduction in average funding per student, increases in average class size, reductions in high school course availability, and loss of teacher and other education worker positions at many school boards. Some of the first mobilizing against the conservative government's measures came from students, and education workers and their unions have been very active as well. Indeed, this fall has involved collective bargaining processes for many of the unions in the sector. The non-teacher education workers represented by the Canadian Union of Public Employees, or CUPE, narrowly avoided a province-wide strike in October, and among other things, their collective agreement won the restoration of tens of millions of dollars previously cut from the system by the Conservatives. Currently, teachers' unions are in bargaining, and more than 95% of members have voted in favour of giving their unions strike mandates. Today's guest, however, is a parent. Rachel Hewat is the mom of three kids and a parent organizer in the West End of Toronto. She's part of a group that was originally called West End Parents for Public Education and that is currently rebranding as the Ontario Parent Action Network. Starting from a public meeting called by parents at a single school, a network of parent organizers has emerged across the province. They are clear that we need an education system that is both strong and public that we must not only defeat the conservative cuts, but we must recognize that the education system already fails many students, and it must be strengthened and enhanced. And they are clear that the way to do this is through solidarity among parents, students, and workers. A key approach to building parent action, whether within a given school or to expand the network across jurisdictions, is conversations among parents about the cuts and about the need to oppose them. Hewatt's group has developed tools published on their website to help parents start having those conversations. One important place to have them can be in school councils. In many places, school councils have been able to express both their concern with the cuts and their solidarity with workers in letters to workers, to school boards, and to the Ministry of Education. But really, such conversations can happen at drop-off and pick-up and anywhere that parents encounter other parents or even teachers and education workers. Another approach used by Huot's group and the broader network has been walk-ins, a tactic adapted from education struggles in the United States. In a walk-in, students, parents, teachers, and other education workers rally in front of the school before the school day starts, and then enter the school together. The first walk-ins happened in June, primarily in Toronto, and had participation at around 500 schools. 
and another walk-in was organized in October while CUPE was in bargaining, with participation for more than 750 schools across Ontario. As teacher bargaining unfolds, parent organizers are continuing to focus on building solidarity. Parents, students, and workers have a shared interest in a strong public system, and as the CUPE settlement hinted, workers have a unique power at the bargaining table to win victories towards that end. It is the public character of the system that is ultimately threatened by the Conservative government's measures, according to Huot. She predicts they aim to introduce some sort of privatization, perhaps a voucher system or a charter school system along the lines found in many places in the United States. And we only need to look at the impacts that such measures have had there to see how they have harmed the education system, workers, and students, particularly marginalized students. I speak with Huot about the attacks on public education in Ontario and about what some parents are doing in response. My name is Rachel Huot. I'm a mom of three kids and I'm a parent organizer in the West End of Toronto. West End Parents for Public Education is a grassroots parents organization in the West End of Toronto, and we're organizing against the provincial education cuts and fighting for a fully funded and equitable education system. I've been involved in movements since I was quite young in Toronto, but this is the first time that I've been involved in a struggle that so directly affects my own life. And why I'm involved in the movement is really because my kids and the kids of my neighbors and my community are going to be so impacted by the cuts to education. Within Ford's first days in the office, he began attacking the systems that our kids benefit from, specifically our education system. His first attack was on the curriculum, on the sex ed curriculum, the health curriculum. That was a really clear indication of his intentions to begin to deconstruct, to pull apart the education system that keeps our kids safe and happy and learning. Within, again, the first weeks in office, he also cut the cap-and-trade program, which meant that money that was supposed to go to repairing our schools that are in really, really rough physical condition was also cut. He cut programs that were benefiting the most vulnerable kids through summer employment opportunities, for example. And then several months later, the massive education cuts came down, which was the $1.4 billion that was announced in March of last year. So I think it really became clear within his first days and weeks in office that parents were going to have to mobilize to protect the education system that our kids learn in every day. So West End Parents for Public Education was an initiative that came out of a public school in the West End of Toronto, Dover Court Public School. Parents active in their school community called for a larger meeting in the West End of Toronto. Parents from 20 different schools attended that first meeting. And also happening across the city, parent groups were emerging and outside of Toronto, across the province, the seeds of parent organizing was beginning. And since then, what we've actually found is that our work has organically spread across the city and across the province. And now we're looking at how to strengthen that network that is emerging into a really strong network that can really take on the cuts to education and also the solidarity and support that's going to be needed with the teachers in bargaining. What were the conversations like in some of those early meetings among parents? What's really striking when you speak to parents in really any space, so in that first meeting and also in the meeting that I had with parents in Scarborough last week, so two very different contexts, 
is that parents, yes, want to talk about the Ford government and want to talk about how we are going to actually get the cuts reversed. But we also want to talk about how the education system, the status quo of the education system was already failing so many of our children. So that we also want to talk about what it would take to strengthen and enhance the funding of the schools and the education system so that we're talking about a system that kids can not just learn in, but really thrive in. Tell listeners in more detail about the changes and cuts that the Ford government is making. Maybe start right at the beginning with the proposed changes around the sex ed curriculum. Ford's clearest objection to what was in the curriculum, in my mind, was any discussion around gender diversity and sexual diversity, as well as around internet safety. And relevant, the, the curriculum that he was wanting to bring back in was curriculum that was used when I was a kid and should not be used when my kids are going to school. And I think the people who were objecting most loudly to that were actually the students who were going to be forced to learn really, really outdated curriculum, curriculum that was outdated to the point of really no longer keeping children safe. And like many of his attacks, he's kind of waffled back and forth. And after tens of thousands of high school students mobilized against the changes to the sex ed curriculum, to the health curriculum, he did actually include many of the discussions within the curriculum that high school students and parents wanted included in a modern health curriculum. But there's still a few key points that he didn't include, one of which is the introduction of any kind of gender identity until grade eight, which is very late for kids to be learning and hearing about this. So moving along to some of the other cuts, the $1.4 billion is having impacts at the elementary level on class sizes grade four and up. It's meant that teachers in central positions like literacy support and itinerant positions have been cut across the province. So teachers that were outside of the classroom but offering supports to other teachers to learn about math, for example, have been pulled back to the classroom. We saw at the beginning of the school year many, many cuts to support staff like custodians, education assistants, librarians, speech pathologists, and those have in part been restored due to CUPE's fight and new collective agreement. At the high school level, we've seen very serious changes to class size averages. The Ford government has done a lot to try to confuse parents about the class sizes, particularly at the high school level. But I think that high school students are not confused about the impact of the class size averages and the parents of those high school students are not confused. We've heard of high school students in just massive class sizes Also, there's course selection as a result of the class size changes being drastically reduced and being asked to travel to other schools to get the classes they need to graduate, being asked by school administration to drop courses that they don't absolutely need, being asked to take courses online that, you know, for example, writer's craft that should absolutely be taught by a person, by a teacher to students. We know that the government's current bargaining proposals around class size will mean approximately 6,000 fewer teachers by 2023-24 school year. So just huge for parents and for families. And in terms of looking ahead, Ford has said that he's planning to introduce 
mandatory e-learning for high school students. There's not been a whole lot of information around that, but parents and students have been very clear in objecting to learning in a mandatory way through e-learning online, that it's not conducive to real learning and it's not the kind of learning that high school students should be doing or being forced to do. And it will also have impacts on the teaching positions. The government has also not committed to the full-day kindergarten model as it is now with a teacher and a designated ECE past our current school year. That's sort of a big, long list of cuts. There are many more. When the government announced the cuts in March, it wasn't clear how they would actually roll out locally in our schools. And we're still learning about how they're rolling out and piecing together information from the board and teachers and parents and students to get a full picture of what's actually happening. I think it's clear that board wants to drive down the quality of public education in Ontario. This is only year one. And we think that's because he wants to introduce private options to Ontario. And that's a model that we know from the U.S. hits racialized and low-income students hard and is not a model that we want to allow to get any foothold in Ontario. So translate the changes and cuts you've just talked about into the student standpoint. How do you imagine student experiences changing because of the kinds of things that the Ford government is doing? Kids need supportive, caring adults in their classroom that have time to sit with them and learn with them and talk to them from the age of three or four when they enter the school system till 18 when they graduate. And I think any parent recognizes and wants that for their student. We need special education programs and support for students with special needs, but also for the students learning in those classrooms. I think those are the major impacts of the cuts is cutting those supports and those individuals that teach and support our kids. And then there's also the school buildings, which we need custodians to clean them and keep them safe. And we also need capital and infrastructure costs to repair the school buildings. These are old buildings. They need key repairs to them to keep them safe for our kids and our teachers and support staff. As West End Parents for Public Education took shape, what kinds of ideas started to emerge in terms of what you could do to take action in response to these cuts and changes? We felt it was really important to clearly align ourselves in solidarity with education workers and teachers, and that the way that we're going to be able to build a movement that can actually reverse cuts and strengthen the education system is by uniting with teachers and education workers. We also recognized that we really needed to go into our schools and talk about the cuts and talk about how we can stop the cuts and talk about standing in solidarity with education workers and teachers. So we spent a lot of time developing tools that parents could use to actually talk to other parents at their schools. We developed tools to talk to parent councils about the cuts. We had template letters that councils could use to send a letter to the minister opposing the cuts to education and also to the school staff in their own school buildings expressing solidarity. We had 90 plus schools who passed motions to send these letters. And I don't want to underestimate what that meant in those schools. Schools aren't places that it's necessarily easy to have conversations about the larger systemic issues. School councils are often left with the burden of struggling to fundraise 
what is actually a serious funding shortage in the education system, which is both impossible and inequitable. But we began to have these conversations right in those school council spaces. The tools that we use to have those conversations, again, started in the West End with West End schools, but we pushed out across Toronto and Ontario. And we really found that parents are really angry and really motivated and really want to know how they can get involved to stop the cuts. Another tool that we used was walk-ins. We organized walk-ins in June and then also in October. This is an idea that came out of the U.S. And it's essentially a schoolyard rally half an hour before school starts made up of education workers, teachers, and families. And they're standing together shoulder to shoulder against the education cuts and then actually walk into the school together to start the school day. And it's symbolic of, you know, uniting teachers, education workers and families and also the importance of entering the school, entering the public system, the value of the public education system. So in June, we were primarily based in Toronto, and we had approximately 500 schools participating with also schools participating just organically outside of Toronto and the GTA and beyond that in Ontario. It was such a powerful day in June that we decided to do one again in October. And this time, the context was a little bit different with QP at the time that we called it in the middle of bargaining, the teachers bargaining also coming up, their timeline coming up. The cuts to education that had been made in the spring really becoming clear to parents and students as we returned to school. So we called another walk-in, and this one we called it provincially. So in October, we had 764 schools registered across Ontario. So that was schools participating in more than 50 boards across the province. And when I say participating, what I mean is that parents were actually taking the lead. Education workers were taking the lead. Teachers were taking the lead and actually organizing at their own school to pull together a walk-in. And they were, I think, extremely successful and meaningful in the scale that they took off in the 700 plus schools that participated, but also what they meant at each school. The idea of the walk-in is that if you're two or you're 200 in terms of the walk-in attendance, that your voice is really being heard. What have the nuts and bolts of all of that looked like locally at the level of the organizing in a particular school? The first thing that we ask parents to do who want to get involved is to connect with other parents at their school. So for some people, that's going to be in school council. And for some people, it's not. It's just going to be talking to the parents of their kids' friends or talking to the parents that they see at pickup or drop-off. But it's really those connections and those conversations which are allowing us to build a stronger movement. So when I talk about things like solidarity, that's not just something that we're talking about as a group. Those are conversations, real conversations we're having in the schoolyard. And those can be difficult conversations too. But it's those conversations and that learning that we're having at the school level with parents that is making us effective and making us strong. For a parent who's starting at school council, we have public notes that talks about both the cuts and solidarity that parents can use to have that conversation. It would look like asking the chair to put the item on the agenda and then speaking to it within the school council meeting. We also ask parents to set up like an outreach table at pickup or drop off to have these conversations. Right now, we're preparing solidarity kits for parents to use that have information about why parents 
should support teachers and also visible shows of support, like a red felt pin that shows your support for teachers. We have a poster we've made and asking parents to get other parents to sign the poster, showing parent support standing with teachers and then displaying it somewhere public in the school or giving it directly to a teacher to put up in the staff room. So all of this is schoolyard, school-based organizing because we think that, again, that's how we're going to grow, talking to the parents within our school, the education workers and the teachers within our school and really growing our power school by school. What kinds of responses have you had to your actions, particularly from the school boards and from the province? The Ford government, I think, is quite sensitive to parent voices. While they're eager to kind of borrow our name, parent voices have been clear from the beginning that we object to cuts to education. And I think the Ford government is hearing that. After the October walk-in, Stephen Lecce, the education minister, did respond directly to the protest. I can't remember exactly what he said, and it doesn't much matter to me what he said, but that he was forced to respond to our protest movement is very significant in terms of how sensitive he is on parents actually mobilizing. We also saw that during QP's bargaining, where we know that In part, QP was able to settle a deal that will actually restore services that have been cut to our schools and strengthen them in some cases because of the overwhelming support from parents and from the community for their fight. In terms of the boards, the response boards have to parent organizing and the responses schools have is much more local. Schools respond quite differently to parents talking about these issues in the parent council boards as well. So we have some schools that it's easier to have these conversations that the principals understand and recognize the problem and the impacts that the cuts will have on their school. So welcome these conversations. We have schools where principals shut down those conversations and say, you know, we can't talk about that kind of thing in council. And similarly, at the board level, you know, the Toronto District School Board, that's the board that my kids are in, hasn't said a whole lot to oppose our organizing and would generally say that they are opposed to provincial cuts, although they did themselves pass a budget that cut many things. At some boards, it's been less welcoming. At some boards, parents were informed about the walk-ins and not to participate. So it really, it's much more depends on your particular school or your particular board. One of the really impressive aspects of the response to Ford's changes and cuts has been the autonomous student organizing. What has the relationship of your work with parents been to that autonomous organizing among high school students? I think the students really led the way in terms of resisting Ford's cuts to education, and we're so grateful for that. They also just brilliantly actually organized so many students. They used a registration process, for example, to organize their walk-ins. So we've directly borrowed from a number of their more practical ways of organizing across the province in a sort of decentralized way that allowed so many people to participate. So the registration process, for example, that they used for their walkouts, we also used for our walk-ins. That's a very practical and a little bit of a dry example, but I think it speaks to the fact that not only were they leading us by inspiring us to take bold, broad action against the cuts, but we're also looking to them for many of their organizing skills. So the walk-ins both in June and in October were also called with one of the student organizations, Students Say No, 
they joined us in calling for the walk-ins and organized students to participate in walk-ins in both June and October. And I think absolutely that we value their voices and we'll continue to work with them every opportunity we can. Given the very real challenges that a strike could pose for many families, how do you frame the importance of parents acting in solidarity with teachers? Workers have power that parents don't have. They have bargaining power. And that means that they can bargain to stop the cuts, to reverse the cuts to education at the bargaining table. And that is something that parents need education workers and teachers to do, to bargain to reverse the cuts to public education and to strengthen our schools. So I think that's the key message that we tell parents, that we need teachers and education workers to use their bargaining power to reverse the cuts to education. And that when we think about the serious inconvenience of job action on parents, that we need to think about what our schools will look like and the chaos of our schools if teachers and education workers don't take a stand and don't take job action. So we talk about the support in the context of what those choices look like. And I think ultimately parents supported education workers and will support teachers when we understand what the issues are and what's on the line. Based on your name and based on some of the things that you've said here today, it's obviously central to the work of your group that it's public education that you're working to protect and enhance and strengthen. So why, would you argue, is that public character of the system so important? There are many examples in the U.S. of states where private options have been introduced either through charter schools or voucher systems. And the public school system really weakened as a result. And we do think that Ford is considering some of those options. With both the autism program and the child care program, he's sort of used models that pay out parents at a much lower level than they'd actually need to pay for the supports that a child with autism would need or pay for child care costs. And that he's really softening the ground in terms of private options in some of those other areas, very important areas, but that he and his government are considering introducing private options into the public school system in Ontario. And so I think we want to begin to have those conversations with parents because, you know, when the Ford government talks about giving out vouchers or giving parents tax credits, the government's not giving the full picture of what that means. And we want parents to understand some of the larger consequences and impacts of any kind of introduction into the school system of private options. I think that parents in Ontario, that the majority of parents in Ontario support and would stand up to protect a completely public system. I think most of us can't even consider paying for a school and that there's an expectation that there's a strong public school system in Ontario. And that's what we're protecting and building on. You have been listening to my interview with Rachel Huot. To find out more about the network of parents that has emerged in opposition to education cuts in Ontario, search for Ontario Parent Action Network on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.